Thank you. Let's just have a moment of prayer together. We're grateful again, Lord Jesus, for the delightful opportunity that we have now in turning to your word to discover more about you. And we trust that in increasing measure you will have your true inheritance in us and that others thereby may be immeasurably blessed. To your eternal praise and to the unspeakable comfort of our own souls. So we thank you for your presence and the blessing that we joyfully anticipate that we don't deserve but you delight to give. And in your own dear and precious name, amen. <clears throat> Is your life exciting? Of course, if you're not a Christian, there's really no reason why it should be. But if you are a Christian, and it's not, then I trust that while you're here at His Hill, whether during the Bible school or even just for these few days or hours, you may discover how it may be. Because that is the normality of the Christian life. I don't mean necessarily spectacular or sensational but exciting in the sense that the true Christian life is always miraculous. In other words, there's no possible explanation for it but God. And that's the nature of a miracle. It doesn't take the miraculous necessarily to be sensational or spectacular. You could hardly say that it was less than spectacular to walk in space or drive a jeep around the moon or send a bit of hardware to Mars and dig up dirt or fly the shuttle twice and land it safely. Pretty spectacular. But not miraculous. It just took a few billion dollars a lot of man-hours and some animal guts. <laughs> and, of course, a few rules that God thought up. That's why there aren't too many atheists among the astronauts. Because they rather hope that whoever thought up the rules is not going to change his mind before they get back home. <laughs> but, you see, the miraculous demands the divine intervention of the God of the impossible. And there's not one single one of us gathered right here now who may not live that quality of life. Because there's not one boy, girl, man or woman sitting here tonight who is a genuine Christian who does not already possess that quality of life. Because that life is Christ himself. And that's why to discover the secret of living a life that is essentially exciting is so superlatively simple. But we make it complicated. When Hudson Taylor returned from China, he would hardly have testified that his life had been exciting. He came back in deep depression as a missionary, an abysmal failure. He came back home to quit. But then he made a wonderful discovery. He discovered it in the 15th chapter of John's Gospel. It's a verse that you will be very familiar with. The Lord Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. In that unique relationship, which of course the Lord Jesus constantly demonstrated as between himself. In the sinlessness of his humanity while he was here on earth and the Father. He and the Father, and the Father in the Son. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, bringeth forth much fruit. But without me, 
you can do nothing. It was discovering the substance of what the Lord Jesus there had to say that completely revolutionized the life of Hudson Taylor. He suddenly realized the mistake that he had been making as a missionary in China. You see, he had somehow developed, as most of us do, the connotation that the vine is one thing and the branch is another. And that the, busy, the, 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 the business and the responsibility of a branch is busily to be about its business bearing fruit for the vine. And he suddenly realized, of course, that for all those years in China, he'd been a busy, busy branch rushing around trying to bear fruit for the vine. <laughs> the one, of course, detached from the other. He had allowed there to develop within his own experience of Christ a dichotomy between himself and the Lord Jesus. His Christianity had become detached from the Lord Jesus. Now what happens to a busy, busy branch that rushes around trying to bear fruit for the vine? It withers and dies. And said the Lord Jesus is fit for nothing but to be burned. For the useless thing it is, it will produce a little heat, maybe, but it will bear no fruit. And suddenly Hudson Taylor realized that when the Lord Jesus said, I am the vine, he'd said it all. For there's no vine that doesn't have branches. Hudson Taylor suddenly realized that he was simply that part of the vine, Jesus Christ, called branch. That it's not the business of the branch to bear fruit for the vine, it is the business of the vine to bear fruit through the branch. In order to bear fruit, all he had to do was to abide in the Lord Jesus and allow the Lord Jesus to abide in him so that the dynamic of his indwelling life might flow as it were to his fingertips. And then all he'd have to do would be go to China and stick his fingers out. <laughs> and a thousand missionaries went to China. In the China Inland Mission. Today known as the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Simply because a man discovered the simple secret of living miraculously. A quality of life that allows of no possible explanation. But the fact that the Lord Jesus then crucified rose again from the dead that having reconciled to God, us to God, he might come in the person of his Holy Spirit and share his life with us now on earth as once the Father shared his life with him on earth. It's so gloriously simple. You don't even have to know what he's doing. You just have to have, by virtue of your availability to him and his divine action, an unshatterable confidence that he's doing it. And under those circumstances, you've got time to wait. You're in no unholy haste to mark up the score. You're not particularly preoccupied with other people's opinions, whether they approve or don't approve. Somehow you know that in your expendability available to the Lord Jesus, he's going to accomplish something of timeless worth. Whether he has the opportunity or the desire to tell you it or not, it may or may not, under certain circumstances, be safe for him to tell us what he's doing. If he did, we'd probably spoil it. We do most things. <laughs> but this is what makes, to me, life incredibly exciting. And you know, every day I live now, in the even tide of life, <coughs> becomes <coughs> even more exciting. Because, you see, hardly a day passes without something surfacing that had its roots in ministry years ago of which I was absolutely and utterly unaware that's what makes life exciting because you just don't have to know what he's doing all you have to know is that he's done it to his own eternal and life and uh, illimitable satisfaction great I was in Livermore, California just the week before last and while there in the First Baptist Church a few friends came in from Cupertino not too far away where a couple of years ago I was in the Valley Church and during that week of meetings in the Valley Church a couple of years ago I'd visited the travel bureau, came out and then went into a store but just as I entered <laughs> I noticed a small boy looking very nervous 
on the sidewalk just in front of the entry doorway. He looked unhappy. He looked as though he might be in trouble. And I wondered in any case why he was there because it was a work day and he should have been at school. Well, I hate to see a boy looking as though he might be in trouble. Though if a boy isn't, he's usually just about to get into it. <laughs> so, as I passed him, I just smiled. And that gave him a little encouragement. And he came to me and he said, excuse me, sir. Could I talk to you? Well, I said, yeah. Well, he said, uh, I have an assignment from my school. And I've got to interview somebody. I realized then why he looked so worried. <laughs> Could I interview you? I said, be my guest. Well, he said, I'd like, to, I'd like to ask you a question. He said, what is the most important thing in your life? Oh. <laughs> Man, talk about handing it to you on a plate. <laughs> A preacher. Well, I said, uh, I won't tell you about the most important thing in my life, but what I would love to talk to you about is the most important person in my life. And I told him how the Lord Jesus became my Savior as a boy just about his age. And I really went to town. I gave him the whole works. <laughs> and uh, I noticed as I began to speak that he had got a tape recorder on his tummy. And just before I began to tell my story, he pressed the button. And then he explained afterwards that the next morning he had to play the tape in front of the whole school class. Oh. Wasn't that great? <laughs> so I had the magnificent opportunity of preaching the gospel in that school class. In spite of the division between <laughs> state and church and Mrs. O'Hare and everybody else. Now, I haven't a clue what the consequences as yet have been of that little interview with that small boy and the tape that he would have played to his classmates in the school next day. But you see, to me, it's hilariously exciting that I don't know because I'm absolutely certain that one day it's going to surface. It always does. Always. Now, it may not even be the boy that I talked to on the sidewalk. It might be some other little rascal tucked away in the corner of that classroom. But the Holy Spirit will bear witness to the truth. The Lord Jesus said, My word will never, ever return unto you void, unto me void. That's great. Now, you see, what gives me confidence <coughs> in an incident like that is the sort of thing that happened... <coughs> In 1966, I was flying from Billings, Montana, via Spokane. It's the sort of place you want to avoid. <laughs> it's where Judy came from and <coughs> Sonny Westbrook. <coughs> but I was flying via Spokane to Seattle. And the plane was very crowded as we set off from Billings, Montana. And there was a family with a whole bunch of kids <coughs> who had to split up because there were no seats all in one cluster. It was open seating. And one of those small boys sat right alongside me in the only seat that was left vacant. Poor kid. <laughs> he was 12. His name was Brad Agenbroad. I still have his name and his address and the date of his birth <coughs> in one of my diaries. Well, I had a lovely opportunity to chat with him. And then <coughs> they changed planes in Spokane, and I flew on to Seattle. I wrote to him, and for years never got a reply. Not in point of fact until seven years later. 
Then I got a letter. And he said, maybe you won't remember me. But I traveled on the same plane in which you traveled from Billings, Montana, where we changed planes in Spokane. <clears throat> I'm not sure that I like what he said next. He said, I remember you as a happy old man. <laughs> <coughs> now, I'd have you know that was 16 years ago. <laughs> happy old man. My foot. He said, you talked to me. <clears throat> you made me laugh. And he said, you talked to me about the Lord Jesus. But he said, I can't even remember what you said, <laughs> which is very encouraging. <laughs> but I get quite accustomed to that. <laughs> he said, all I do remember is this, that although you were a total stranger, you talked to me, and you were the first person that ever really spoke to me about Jesus Christ. He said, I am now 19 years of age, and I'd like you to know that two years ago I accepted Christ as my Savior. I was hitchhiking around Mexico on vacation. He was still unconverted. But I bumped into a missionary and they invited me to accept their hospitality. And I discovered in them the same friendliness and they too told me about the Lord Jesus. You see, isn't that fantastic? You see, we're all individual members of the one body corporate of which the Lord Jesus is the head. The nervous system is his Holy Spirit. And so begins a process whereby he closes in upon the life of a boy of 12 years of age, maybe sooner, in a plane in Montana, on the way to Washington. But he has another member of his body all tucked away down there in Mexico, ready to jump. <laughs> the moment the Holy Spirit gives him The hint. He said, I'm just graduating from a Lutheran Bible school in Seattle. A very good school, in point of fact. And then he wanted to say this. He said, I just wanted to tell you that I have only one supreme ambition in life, and that is to belong totally to the Lord Jesus, to love him with all my heart, to serve him, to be utterly available to him. And then he quoted... Ephesians 1.12 and Galatians 2.20 to be to the praise of his glory. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I. Christ lives in me. And I want to thank him and praise him that he changed my old nature to his new divine nature. And I want to thank you because you played a significant part in my salvation. You were the first to talk to me about Jesus. Thank you, sir. And then he said, uh, I'll see you in heaven. Be looking for me. <laughs> well, I wasn't prepared to wait till I got to heaven. So uh, I met him some years ago in <clears throat> the airport in Seattle when I was flying through. And when I was at Twin Rocks in Oregon on the coast, speaking to all the Mennonite pastors in May this year, he drove two hours from the school where he was teaching just to spend 20 minutes with me and then drive two hours back for the next class. He's married and waiting now upon God's instructions where the rest of his life is to be invested in the service of the Lord Jesus. You see, that's what to me makes life so incredibly exciting. You see, you don't even have to be there. Personally, it may just be a voice. That's why Dr. Hunter prays for those who listen to his tapes. If they listen to mine, they need your prayer. <laughs> <coughs> I had the privilege of speaking uh, in June at the uh, commencement service of Columbia Bible College this year. Had to fly it over from Germany just for that weekend, fly straight back. We had over 40 students who had attended Cape and Red Bible schools in different parts of the world, enrolled at that time in Columbia Bible College, and we have as many if not more right now. 
and incidentally the president, McQuilkin, says that of all the students at Columbia Bible College, the best come from Cape and Ray Bible Schools. We're thankful for that. And for this good reason, we've made special arrangements with them that those who so desire, by doing one or two extra quarter hours, can graduate for a full year, either there or any other of the Christian colleges in that association. We're grateful about that. But I had to stay overnight in the college before flying back on the Sunday afternoon to Germany to pursue my itinerary in that country. And another student remained behind. He'd left a message that he wanted to speak to me. His name was Jack Cooper. There were very few folks around on that Sunday. Most had gone home after commencement. But at the appointed time, Jack Cooper came to me, and he was a little diffident. He said, uh, I've hesitated about talking to you because I don't know really quite how to say what I want to say. But he said, you see, although you've never seen me before, you've never heard my name. For many years now, you've been my father. Then he told me his story. He said, I'm an Apache Indian. Do you ever hear of the Apaches? <laughs> I was born in an Apache Indian village in New Mexico. I never had any real parents. I mean, they were my mom and dad, but they were both utter drunkards. So I never knew parental care or parental love. My father was brutal. He beat me so severely once when I was eight years of age that in agony I lay on the ground and in despair cried, God, where are you? I was only eight. He said, I somehow felt there must be somebody out there. That was the awakening of my soul. <clears throat> but there was nobody to help me. He said, by the age of 18, I too was an alcoholic. I was deeply involved in gun running and the drug traffic, myself an addict. He said, I had all the money in the world. He said, there was seldom a day when I went to bed without having put anything up to $2,000 in my pocket in the traffic in which I was engaged. But by the age of 22, four years later, I recognized that my life was totally bankrupt. And I cried again to God to save me. And he did. And just at that moment in my life, a lady missionary passed by and she counseled me and she gave me your books and she gave me a whole bunch of your tapes. And for years, you were the only church I ever attended, the only preacher I ever listened to. You were my father. And it was because of your recommendation to that missionary of Columbia Bible College, I'm here right now taking my master's. And as God allows me, I'm going back to the Apache Indians so that some little boy trying to find God will have somebody to tell him where he lives. That makes life exciting. Because you see, you and I have been entrusted with the living word. It's the word of God. 
to divine utterance. And it's also simple. It derives from a conviction in your heart that you're available to the Lord Jesus for him to place you where he wants you at any time, day or night. God take the consequences because you know he will. You might turn and say to Paul the Apostle, <clears throat> had you been alive when he was alive? Paul, why are you in the ministry? And do you know what he would have said? Some of you, I'm sure, from past experience, would know at once. He'd have said, put. And you say, what do you mean, put? And he'd say, I was sent and went. And when you're sent and went, you're put. Did you ever read that in the Bible? If you turn to the first of Paul's two epistles to Timothy and chapter 1. The first of his two epistles and chapter 1. He bears this testimony first in the 13th verse. He was, I was, he said, before a blasphemer. And I was a persecutor. And I was injurious. I was numbered amongst my theological colleagues who believed that Jesus Christ was the illegitimate child of a lying, faithless, Galilean peasant girl. I was a blasphemer. I considered him to be an ignorant, fanatical street preacher, an imposter, who dared to claim that he was the Christ. Not only was I a blasphemer, but I was a persecutor. I didn't do it insincerely. I imagined falsely that I was serving God. But I believed fanatically that this sect, this cult, men of the way, had at all costs to be eliminated. And people got hurt when I was around. I was injurious. I stood by consenting to the death of Stephen. I saw his blood run in the gut. I heard his bones snap as he was stoned to death. A believing woman seeing me come down the street would turn as white as a sheet, rush home and hide her husband in the linen cupboard. Little kids would scatter when they saw me. I was dangerous. But he says, I obtained mercy. Because I did it ignorantly. In my unbelief. Mind you, I was the blue-eyed boy of my theological class. I was promoted above many my equals in the Jews' religion. I was well on the way to elbowing my way to the top, to the ecclesiastical pinnacle. I thought I was smart. But there came a moment of time when there was a light brighter than the sun at noondays with letters of authority from the council in Jerusalem as I was on my way to Damascus. There, if needs be to cast into jail or do to death all who dared to call upon the name of Jesus. And in that blinding moment of revelation, I was flung sightless to the earth and heard a voice from heaven crying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me?
It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. I said, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And Paul capitulated. He said, I thought I was smart and discovered that I was advertising my ignorance. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in my unbelief. Then in that 12th verse of the same chapter, the preceding verse, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful. What's the next word? Putting me. Putting me into the ministry. If you want to know why I'm in the ministry, I'll tell you, said Paul. I'm put. Because he counted me faithful. That means he saw my disposition. That my heart was full of faith. That I'd learned that his strength could only be made perfect in my weakness. And so I placed myself at his disposal that he might move first redemptively into my experience and reconcile me to a holy God on the basis of that blood he shed upon the cross and then move into my life regeneratively and restore to me in the gift of God the Holy Spirit that quality of life for which man was made and that was forfeited in the day that Adam died. when he believed the devil's lie that a man could be man without God. When he believed the devil's lie that a man could be man without God. I was put. Three times he records the testimony of his conversion in the book of the Acts, there were countless other times, I'm sure, when he related the events that transformed his life. But in the 26th chapter of the book of the Acts, he said, At midday, O King, King Agrippa, verse 13 of the 26th chapter of the book of the Acts, At midday, O King, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in them which I will yet appear unto thee, <coughs> delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send you. <coughs> You're sent. To open their eyes. To turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. That may, they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And then standing as we reminded ourselves this morning before the king Agrippa on trial before him for his life. He said, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was sent, and I went. And when you're sent and went, you're put. <coughs> then life becomes exciting. Because if you know who sent you, you know who put you. And if it's God who put you, nothing can frighten you. Could I ask you a very simple question? The obvious question. You put. What would you say? 
you'll recognize, I'm sure, that there's only one legitimate answer that you can give to that question if you are a Christian. I mean, a real Christian. You'd say, sir, if you want to know why I'm in that particular business, I'll tell you, I'm put. And if I were inadequately informed, I'd say, what do you mean, put? And as a Christian, you'd say, I was sent and went. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is my Redeemer. There came a moment in my life when convicted by the Holy Spirit of my guilt, I recognized him to be the one whom Father God, the Father God in heaven sent to be my Savior. I received him into my life. He's come by his Holy Spirit to occupy my humanity. I discovered that mine are the hands that he now works with. Mine are the feet with which today he walks. My lips through which he talks. And when I came to realize the true nature of the Christian life, there came a moment in time when I faced the ultimate decision. That of being available to his divine indwelling, to become, to become expendable for God. I recognize that as a healthy individual member of that body, which he alone is the head and whose life I share, he has the absolute and exclusive right to put me where he wants me. <clears throat> and if you want to know why I'm in this business, it's because he, the head of that body, of which I'm a healthy member, is precisely where he wanted me. Could you give, as a Christian, any other legitimate reason for being in the business where you are? I might say, why do you live in the home where you do right now? And of course, immediately, your face would light up as a Christian and say, put. And I would say to you, what do you mean, put? You'd say, well, I was sent and went. You see, I recognize that as an individual member of the body of Christ, he has the only right to decide where I'm going to live because he knows where he wants to his life, live his life through me, so that that life by him may be communicated through me to those whom he came to seek and to save. And I long since repudiated the right to determine where I was going to make my home. Because in those few years in which it remains my privilege to be on earth at his disposal, he's the one who calls the shot. <clears throat> Makes life so simple and uncomplicated. When you allow the Lord Jesus Christ just actually to be what he is, God. For a very good and simple reason. He's big enough for the job. And has the right to be who he is, where he lives, in the redeemed humanity of a forgiven sinner. Because as the great creator who engineered us, we were made as the creature in such a way that the presence of the creator within the creature is indispensable to his humanity. And a Christian is simply somebody who, on God's terms, has got back to home base. Put. <clears throat> Are you Paul the Apostle? Yes. I mean, the great missionary statesman who pioneered the church in Colossae and Philippi and Thessalonica and Rome and Corinth. Well, yes. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit penning much of the New Testament scriptures for the instruction of the saints. Well, yes. Then what are you doing in that basket? Do you remember the story? You see, warned by God that assassins were waiting at the gate of the city to do him to death, his fellow believers took the Apostle Paul, stuck him in a basket, and lowered him over the city wall of Damascus. And there he was, halfway between top and bottom, sitting in a basket like a dozen eggs. And they said, what are, are you doing there? <laughs> and you know, with a grin from ear to ear, Paul would have said, put. 
What do you mean, put? Oh, he said, I was sent and went. <laughs> and he said, in so many words, I couldn't care less whether I'm preaching from a cathedral pulpit or sitting in a basket, so long as at any given moment I'm in the place where God puts me. Because that's the only place where I'm safe. Doesn't that make life uncomplicated? The storm raged. All hope that the ship might be saved was lost. Already they had jettisoned the cargo and now they were throwing the tackling overboard and everybody was in despair. And then suddenly somebody remembered that Paul the Apostle was on board. He was a prisoner under arrest to be brought before the Roman Emperor for he had appealed to Caesar and they said Paul's on board where's Paul anybody seen Paul nobody had seen Paul and so finally they hunted everywhere and somebody came up breathlessly from the hold beneath and they said he's down below deck so they went down there he was what do you think he was doing eating his packed lunch They said, Paul, the ship's sinking. So he said, so what? As he chewed the last cucumber sandwich. <laughs> they said, man, the ship's sinking, and if the ship sinks, we'll all sink. Oh, no, you're wrong, said Paul. Mind you, the ship may sink. And if the ship sinks, you may sink. <laughs> But I won't sink. I'm put. What do you mean, put? Well, I was sent and went. You see, God said that I was going to preach the gospel in Rome. So the ship may sink, you may sink, but I can't sink. I'm the unsinkable thing. <laughs> you see, when you're sent and went, you're put. And if you know who sent you, you know who put you. And if it's God who sent you, it's God who put you. And it's God who put you. Nothing can frighten you. Uh, is your life exciting? It will only be genuinely exciting when it is miraculous. And it will only be genuinely miraculous when you're prepared to allow the Lord Jesus now to be to you what he then allowed the Father to be to the Son who said, the Father who lives in me, he does the work. And without my Father, I can do nothing. But of course, you can only begin this quality of life that is essentially miraculous if you are prepared to begin where God began. Are you Jesus Christ? Well, yes. Would you say that you are co-equal in deity with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the triune Godhead? Are you the Word who was in the beginning with God and was God and by whom all things were made and without whom was not anything made that was made? Do you call yourself God? Well, yes. miraculously conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a Virgin Mary to walk this earth in the sinlessness of your humanity so that the God in heaven could look at you as man on earth and say, good, well pleased, my beloved son. Is that you? Right. Yes. You mean you threw the universes into space as the creator? The stars into the far corners of the night? You want to tell me that you uphold all things now by the word of your power? Well, yes. Then what are you doing on that Roman cross? That's a gallows. Why those nails through your hands and feet? 
Why that crown of thorns on your head? Why the blood and spittle that's trickling down your cheeks? What's that spear wound in your side? What are you doing there? Put. What do you mean? Put. I was sinned. And went. Oh, by the way, as my father sent me, so send I you. Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? He was sent. Went. And died. For you. For you. Jesus in the light of that cross no questions how could there be any questions Did you ever thank the Lord Jesus for dying for you? Did you ever begin where God began? You begin beneath the shadow of that cross. And I'd like to give you a very simple invitation right now. Just where you sit. To thank him. If you've never known deep down in your heart that you've embraced Christ as your Redeemer, if you've never deliberately of your own free choice allowed Him to do that which is dearest to His heart, cleanse you from sin, reconcile you to God, blot out your transgressions, to come himself by his Holy Spirit and share his life with you, to be your Savior, your Redeemer, life itself, to clothe his divine activity with your flesh and blood so that you're caught up with him into the timeless purpose of an eternal God, to inherit eternity, as a joint heir with him forever. If you've never had that assurance in your heart that you're God's child, that you've been redeemed, if you couldn't say tonight, I'm converted, I'm saved, I know it, but God knows deep down in your heart how much you would long to have the right to say it. I've got good news for you. Whatever your age, a little boy, girl, man or woman, you may have been to church for years and not insincerely. God knows how hard you've tried. But you see, the wages, which is all that we deserve, the wages of, of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God, that quality of life for which man was made, the gift of God, 
eternal life. The only way you can get a gift is to admit your need, hold out your hand, take and say thank you. Did you ever do that? Then you're poised, if never before, upon the threshold of a sheer adventure. As a forgiven sinner, all undeserving of sharing the life of Christ on earth every moment of every day on the way to heaven. And whether you know it or whether you don't, as you make yourself available to Him, graciously sharing His resurrection life with you, He'll move through time and touch the lives of others. And there will be boys, girls, and men and women all eternity who will be profoundly thanked that you pass their way. Because when they met you, they met him. What a marvelous thing. I was sent. And I went. And I'm put. God. God take the consequences. Thank you, dear Lord. Grant that each one of us may go out to share the adventure of a Savior's quest, reaching out to the uttermost ends of the earth beyond our wildest dreams until the day we see you face to face. And how glad we will be when transformed into your likeness, we shall then be forever with the Lord. And all in your own dear and precious name and because you deserve it. For your name is Jesus. You save your people from their sins.